It has been just over 40 days since the day of the resurrection, since Easter Sunday. Last Thursday marked the Feast of the Ascension when our Lord, after 40 days, ascended into heaven to be with the Father again, to that place from whence he had come at the Incarnation. But during those 40 days, he has been with his disciples, those things that they could not understand prior to his death, his crucifixion, uh, he is now opening up to them. We hear this a little bit earlier in Acts where Luke says to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so we've now entered into Ascension Tide, a 10-day period between the day of the Ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the coming Spirit of Jesus that he said, it is necessary for me to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit amongst you. But it's evident from this passage in Acts also that they haven't quite got it yet. It's going to require the Holy Spirit who will bring them into all truth, the counselor and the guide, to really completely open up their minds. Because the first thing that they're asking him in this passage is, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel, you'll see they're still thinking in political, um, in, in a political way. They're thinking that the kingdom, the wonderful kingdom under David and Solomon will be restored to the people of Israel, the golden age of Israel. When all of the countries and kingdoms around feared the might of Israel, because David was a great warrior king, and he extended Israel's boundaries out. And so they were feared, but also under Solomon, who was given so many gifts of wisdom, they were revered for the wisdom and for, the, for their worship of one true God in a polytheistic society all the way around they worshipped one God and it's under Solomon of course that the amazing temple was built as well so in the disciples minds what they're looking for with the, this Messiah which they thought had died with him on the cross and now he's resurrected in a physical yet different body maybe now This Messiah will come in and restore that glorious era in Israel's history back to Israel again. And of course it's not lost on them that when Jesus called close disciples to himself, he chose 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel. So what are their places going to be? Are they going to have a place of honor? Of course there are only 11 now. Uh, because Judas, son of James, is still there, but Judas Iscariot, of course, who betrayed Jesus, has died in Potter's Field. 
But a little bit later in the Acts of the Apostles, we hear that they cast lots to make back up their number to 12. It's a symbolic number because it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples for a new Israel, for a new kingdom. They haven't quite got that yet. And so Jesus responds to them in this way. They ask, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And his initial response is, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set. And then he says something that seems like a total non sequitur to the question. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What has that to do with the kingdom being restored to Israel? But it's all part and parcel of Jesus' response. The first part of the response is, nobody gets to know the times and seasons. They've been set by the Father. But power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's because that has everything to do with the kingdom. Not the political kingdom that they're thinking about, but God's kingdom. The extension of God's rule, God's reign, heaven's dimension, which in the Bible we understand is the place where God is in spirit and in truth. Heaven's dimension, which is parallel to earth's dimension and at points intersects. Most notably, the point of Jesus the Son of God, the carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus, who is both born of heaven and earth, the God-man, is where heaven's dimension and earth's dimension intersect. And as we will see, that kingdom, that rule, that reign of God, then is extended through his people when he sends his spirit to come and dwell with the people. So his spirit that is heaven's dimension comes into these earthly bodies and we get to be in some manner heaven and earth people. And so it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the kingdom is not restored to Israel, but the kingdom of God is extended into the world. That means that the will of God is done. That's what it means to have God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God here on earth. And the whole of the Acts of the Apostles which should probably better be known as the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, uh, because they can't do anything until they receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. That's what the acts is all about. It's about the story of the spread of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as they witness to Jesus, God's kingdom is extended out into the world. Chapters 1 through 7 
is the witness in Jerusalem in Acts. Chapters 8 through 11 is the witness to Judea and Samaria. And we have the stories of the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and as it goes out, and then from 12 to the end of Acts is to the ends of the earth. And it ends up, of course, where? In Rome with Paul chained to, to Roman soldiers as he awaits trial. But the but the kingdom is still extending because he's got a captive audience. And so he's preaching the gospel. He's witnessing in his cell. It is still extending. It extends through the whole Praetorian Guard. This witness of Jesus of Nazareth extends out. You know, right now in this period of time from Ascension to Pentecost, uh, there's been a global prayer movement that's called Thy Kingdom Come. Anybody on Facebook who checks the Good Shepherd Facebook page every once in a while will see that I've been posting little videos that have come out of uh, the Church of England. This began last year, and it's continued and it's grown uh, so much greater this year. It's throughout the world and and the the prayer movement is called thy kingdom come so if you look out on the website and go thy kingdom come global um you'll be able to read about it but basically it's a prayer movement going into pentecost to pray that those friends or family maybe four or five friends or family who don't know jesus that the prayer is that they will come to know him, that they will, that somebody or we ourselves will witness to them and that the hearts will be opened to know Jesus and to receive eternal life, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive all of those things that the gospel promises to us. And so this is extending out Because the kingdom of heaven is not up there. The kingdom of heaven, God's rule, God's reign, is moving into the world. And how does it move? It moves when we witness to Jesus. When we tell the story, remember, the disciples weren't that learned. They were fishermen, they couldn't, uh, they, they hadn't gone to theology school. Um, neither we, do we need. We don't need to be able to quote chapter and verse in the Bible. We need to tell our stories. We need to tell our personal story with Jesus. And that each and every one of us can do. Last week in Peter's epistle, we heard this. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready. That's not just some people. That's just not the ordained clergy. It's everyone. We are all to be witnesses to Jesus. And how do we do that but to tell our own story? Each of us has a story with Jesus. You might not have looked back on your life 
and looked at it with the eyes of faith to see how maybe some things that you thought were really bad in your life, if you open up and look with the eyes of faith, they maybe were really bad, but see where the Lord has, has brought good out of it. Maybe deepened your faith. Maybe given you an opportunity to witness in a difficult time to somebody else about the hope that is within you. See, I was, uh, I'll I'll try and do the shortened version of of my spiritual journey with Jesus. And those who came and uh, were with me when I was the keynote speaker last Saturday at the Episcopal Church Women, sorry for the repetition here. But um, I was born in the UK into um, a family in post-war, World War II England. So rationing was still uh, taking place. It ended shortly thereafter. Of course, I never knew anything about it. I was a baby. My father um, had been too old to be conscripted into World War II, uh, but he'd gone along and signed up. And in the recruiting office, uh, this cockney um, heard my father's voice. It was a little bit plummy. And so um, he said, court, because daddy asked if he could be in the infantry. And, and the Cockney recruiter said, call blimey, gov, you don't want to be there, they shoot at you, I'll put you behind the big guns. So they actually put daddy in the Queen's Regiment Royal Artillery, and he was in, uh, he was a Royal Artillery, a captain in the Royal Artillery, and was involved in the Normandy landings and providing artillery cover and bringing in the Mulberry Harbors before the landings as well, and then a British army on the Rhine after Germany surrendered. My mum, and I only knew this later, much later on because she'd signed the Official Secrets Acts, she uh, grew up in Liverpool. My one claim to fame with the Beatles, when the Beatles became, uh, you know, well-known and everybody was swooning over the Beatles, I could say, well, me nan lives in Liverpool and I can even do a Liverpoolian accent if I need to. So my one claim to fame with the, with the Beatles, but my mom had actually been up in Southport and um, seconded to a department that was looking for German spies who had come into the UK. And it wasn't until she was in her 70s that she told me the story of them actually finding one who'd been very elusive. Her small team had done that. And I regret that I never asked more about the story. But neither of them were churchgoers. They were not religious. They'd both been baptized because that's what happened in the UK when they were little. But my grandmother, my nanny in Liverpool, had persuaded my mum to have my brother baptized, who was four years older than I was, but she flexed her independence muscles when I was born and refused to have me baptized. And so I I went along, I started in school, and um, I... I had difficulty reading. I can remember my mum sitting on the settee with me and pointing out the, and I couldn't read it. It would, I would say to her, and she said, it's not to her, it's the. And I had the worst time. And then later on, as I went through these grades, I was so unhappy at school because I could not read. 
all of the letters would jump around the page on me. And as much as I tried, the more, the more stressed I got, the more they'd jump around the page. So if the teacher would ask me to read out loud, I lived in absolute terror that I was going to be asked to read out loud in the classroom. And of course, back then, they didn't know about learning disabilities. I didn't know about learning disabilities until uh, Katerina was diagnosed with them. I was just told I was dumb and I was stupid. I was really slow and I wouldn't amount to much because I couldn't learn. And so my parents sent me from there. There were two private girls' schools in town. One was a Roman Catholic convent and the other one was a Church of England school. And for some reason, they gave me a choice. So I chose the Roman Catholic convent. I'm not baptized. I'm, so therefore, I'm not Christian. I go to a Roman Catholic convent school and I'm very shy. Yes, I know you might not believe that, but I was really shy. And I had no confidence whatsoever. So I would quickly eat my lunch and then we were allowed to go into the chapel. And of course, I'm the only one in the chapel because all of the others are playing on the playground. I was useless at sports too, so that didn't work for me. But I would spend my day, my, my lunch times in the chapel. Well, the chapel had this wonderful, they had statues, flowers, this smell of beeswax and holy water and flowers and around the edge of the chapel were stations of the cross well they were roman numerals but one is still one whether or not it's roman or any other kind of number so i knew where to start and i would walk the stations of the cross so even though i had this I'd been told I was dumb and stupid. The Lord used it to draw me to him because I would walk the stations. I didn't know the story. The nuns were really good about the rosary and Hail Marys, not so good on the Bible. But I would walk the stations. So I didn't know exactly the story, but the stations told me that part of the story. And I would start crying as I came around, something God was speaking into my heart. Well, at 12, I couldn't stay in the Roman Catholic. Only Catholics were allowed to stay after that. So then I went to the Church of England school, and all of my peers are going through confirmation class. And since we were in St. Albans, we were associated with the Abbey Church of St. Albans, the longest nave in the UK of any cathedral, and the place of the first Roman martyr first christian martyr in england and i'd sing but all of my peers all of my classmates had gone through confirmation and they'd get up and they'd go to be able to receive communion and i wanted in the worst way to be able to receive communion how was i going to get myself baptized and confirmed back in that time you didn't ask those questions how is that going to happen but you see, Jesus had introduced himself to me in the stations of the cross. He placed a desire in my heart to be able to receive communion. Fast forward to my 20s. I'm living in Paris, working in Paris. How I got there is a whole long story. But anyway, I'm living and working in Paris, going around Notre Dame. But again, 
Wow, I'm not a Christian. I'm not baptized. Well, wow, what can I do? You, you just don't know how to do it. And, and then meet my husband, uh, first in London, then in Madrid. And when we got engaged, I wanted to be married in the church. I, there was this other desire. I want to be married in the church. I'm not baptized. I'm not a Christian. I'm not confirmed. How do I get married in a church? Well, my boss knew the vicar of a small church in Cornwall, in the back of beyond in Cornwall. And he talked to him and he said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Now, Pat was baptized. He was an Episcopalian, but he was not really going to church either. So here we are married in the church, Stations of the Cross, drawing for communion, married in the church. And then um, I'm working. We moved to Miami. We were in Argentina for a while. We moved to Miami, and um, I'm in charge of our Caribbean agents. Haven't had time to get green cards sorted. I'm on my um, uh, British uh, passport, multiple entry business visa, traveling backwards and forwards to all over the Caribbean, um, Port of Spain, Trinidad, Tobago, Bridgetown, all of those places. And I end up one time in Freeport, and you pre-clear immigration and customs there for the U.S. And the guy takes one look at my passport and says, I don't think you were here on business. I think you just came to extend your visa. Unless you get yourself normalized with U.S. immigration within a week, I'm going to see you're deported. And I got home and Pat said, and did you happen to say that you're married to an American? Well, no. Um, But a year later, I get my green card and a bouncing baby boy born on the same day as my green card came in the mail. And then two and a half years later, Katerina is born. And we're not really thinking about church, God, anything. And then a new neighbor moves into town with Children, my children's age. And every week, she said, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? Every week, for ages, very gently, she asked that question. It it wasn't said to make me feel guilty. It was just an invitation. I love going to church. Do you want to come with me? And I was petrified What are they going to think? I am not baptized. I am not confirmed. I have not darkened the door of a church in how long? Since I was at school. What are they going to say? But even I knew that Easter, there was enough of a swell in church attendance that maybe they wouldn't see me. And so that Easter... 1985, I went to church with Carrie, and I felt like I'd come home. Felt like God's arms just wrapped around me, like I was back in that chapel. And so I signed up, can I have three baptisms and one confirmation, please? And on Pentecost of that year, coming up on this anniversary, 
Katerina, George and myself were baptized and I was confirmed and I was able to receive communion for the first time. And it was amazing. But I didn't know the story. I still didn't know the story. I didn't even know there were two testaments. I mean, I knew nothing. And about a month later, Carrie was changed. She was just so peaceful. She was serene. She was tranquil. She was different. And I said, what's happened? And she said, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I said, it can't be that simple. You've got to go through a checklist. You've got to do Christianity 101. You've got to learn the Bible. She said, no, Sarah. You just ask Jesus to come into your heart. And so I went back and sat in a blue wingback chair that I still have that became my prayer chair. It's all saggy now. And I gave this invitation, this poor invitation. Jesus, if you're really real, will you come into my heart? Jesus, if you're really real, will you come into my heart? And you know he'll take any invitation. He is humble of heart. And even that. And there was such a peace that came over me. And from then on, I knew that I was never alone. I was never not loved. And then I came to know that all of my sins were forgiven. And little by little, he revealed those because heavens above, he couldn't reveal them all at one time. I would have collapsed under the weight. And to know that now when I mess up, which is on a daily basis, they're forgiven. And I have the sure hope of eternal life. See, that's my story. There are so many other things that Jesus has done in my life. You know how he got to tell me his story? There was a curate in the church, a new curate, a woman priest, the first woman priest in the diocese, very young, out of the Carolinas. And she came and found Pat and I. Now, I had signed up for everything. I was doing stewardship. I had no idea what stewardship was. Oh, my goodness. I was on the stewardship drive calling people. Everything, outreach, you name it. But she came up and she asked, with one arm around Pat, one arm around me, will you teach Sunday school to the preschoolers? And I was going to say no for the first time, going, I know nothing. I cannot teach Sunday school. And Pat says yes, and she walks off, and I'm going, what? Are you going to teach them? No, you can teach them Sunday school. Well, you know, preschoolers, they're rolling on the floor. They're chewing on Pat's leg. They're climbing all over us. But I'd spent hours learning the stories so that I could teach them. See, I I needed to learn like a child, 
And then he drew me deeper and deeper in. He healed me supernaturally of a cyst at the base of my spine. He healed my dyslexia at some point or another between the convent and the high school. I was able to read with no problem whatsoever. He called me into ordained ministry when I had no undergraduate degree. And I graduated with a Master of Divinity cum Lord with a 4.0 GPA from Neshoda House only through his grace. And he called me here. So many stories. But the biggest gift is that I've been reconciled with God. I've received forgiveness of sins. I have received eternal life with him can you tell your story it's all that it needs always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you go back this week think about your story think about your story with the eyes of faith what are those things that you saw that you remember, like being called dumb and stupid and you won't amount to much? Think about how the Lord turned that around to draw me to himself and then to draw my family and my mom and my dad. See, he did that. Think about your stories this week. You know, in some parts of the world, they're persecuted for their witness. Just this last week, a whole busload of Coptic Christians were massacred because they witnessed that they were Christians, that they followed the one true Lord. It is doubtful here that we will encounter that kind of persecution the worst that would happen to us if we want to tell our story is that somebody kind of looks down their noses at us. What is that? We are called to be witnesses. Tell your story. Think about your story this week. And then share it. Pray thy kingdom come. That's the way the kingdom expands. And darkness is overcome by the light of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.